I'd like to welcome everybody this morning, all of my friends in the pews and all of my friends on YouTube that I've made the last couple weeks. This morning's Old Testament reading is Nehemiah. Is that better? <laughs> this morning's Old Testament reading is Nehemiah 5, 1 to 2, and 6 to 13. Let us open our ears, our minds, our imaginations, and our souls as we listen across time and space and seek to hear his story. We hear from Eugene Peterson's paraphrase, the message. A great protest was mounted by the people, including the wives, against their fellow Jews. Some said, we have big families and we need food just to survive. I got really angry when I heard their protest and complaints. After thinking it over, I called the nobles and officials on the carpet. I said, each one of you is gouging his brother. Then I called a big meeting to deal with them. I told them, we did everything we could to buy back our Jewish brothers who had to sell themselves as slaves to foreigners. And now you're selling these same brothers back into debt slavery? Does that mean that we have to buy them back again? They said nothing. What could they say? What you're doing is wrong. Is there no fear of God left in you? Don't you care what the nations around here, our enemies, think of you? I and my brothers and the people working for me have also loaned them money, but this gouging them with interest has to stop. Give them back their foreclosed fields, vineyards, and made them promise to keep their word. Then I emptied my pockets, turning them inside out, and said, so may God empty the pockets and house of everyone who doesn't keep this promise, turned inside out and emptied. Everyone gave a wholehearted, yes, we'll do it, and praised God. And the people did what they promised. The wisdom of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? God of abundant grace and everlasting love, 
We know that there are real injustices in the world, real efforts to sow division and discord. But we learn from Nehemiah a means to bringing forward justice, a means to dismantling division. And may the words of my mouth and meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I'm going to be really transparent with you all and tell you that most of this sermon changed in the 30 minutes before you all walked in the door this morning. (laughs) And I still think all the pieces work well together, but I want to tell you that up front. And that's mostly because this past week there was an event that happened in Tennessee, my home state. Uh, A minister in a town called Mount Juliet, it's about 30,000 people, a few hours outside of Nashville. He invited his church to burn books in a response to some of the larger things happening in our nation's political moment right now. And as someone who studies most closely political rhetoric in Christian nationalism and divinity school, I would be really remiss if I did not talk about that issue standing in a pulpit this morning, because my hope is that pulpits all across this nation are responding to that and saying that that's not a thing that should be happening certainly not by a minister and certainly not being led by one in this nation. I've studied this minister for a long time. Um, This past year, I had sort of the misfortune, I think, of reading every tweet that he had posted in the past seven years in an effort to track the rise of his rhetoric matched alongside the rise of his popularity around this country. What you find is something really disheartening, and that's that he gets more religious, more overtly talking about Christ, more overtly talking about God, alongside an incredible rise in racism and misogyny, and calling President Biden, Nancy Pelosi, and other Democratic leaders pedophiles, people who are of the devil, who are worshiping Satan. And as he does this, his power, his influence grows. At its height, he had nearly six million followers all across social media on Twitter, on Facebook, on YouTube, and on TikTok. TikTok is mostly for younger people, um, but it is an app that's mostly video sharing that has grown in popularity in the past two years, particularly in this pandemic. And again, this past week, though he sort of quieted down some of his rhetoric, he's been banned from Twitter for COVID disinformation. He carried this book burning lie across all of his social media streams. And when I saw this pop up my Twitter feed, shared by a politician, one of my um, state leaders back home, my heart sank because I knew who the minister was before they even said his name. He wasn't even mentioned in the caption, but I knew it was him. And I started to cry because I thought about my friends who don't come to churches on Sunday mornings, who opening up Twitter or Facebook or YouTube That's what they saw about our faith. That's who they saw as Christians, people who decided that in the name of God, in the name of Christ, that they would burn books like Harry Potter, like Twilight. Those are not books, I'll be honest, that I have read, but they are books that should be in our libraries, that people should have access to, and that we as Christians should not be getting rid of simply because we don't like the content that's in them. My hope is that Nehemiah and some of his thoughts on leadership and bridging divides and gaps might find some way forward for us in this moment because in this past week I have experienced a lot of turmoil about what it means to think about entering Christian ministry, what it means to be Christian in this world 
when some of the loudest voices around us are folks who choose to highlight them lighting wooden piers on fire and tossing books into them. And thinking about Nehemiah, just by a show of hands, how many of you can recall hearing a sermon on any part of the book of Nehemiah? Just raise your hand. Take a look around. <laughs> Keep your hands up if you did raise them. Anyone that's heard Nehemiah more than twice? All right. So for those of you who didn't raise your hand, and if you looked around, who put your hand down really quickly, I want to disabuse you of any notion that you have fallen short or that you've missed something in church. The truth is that Nehemiah is simply not a book that is often raised during worship services, nor during many of our sermons. And to be clear, this is not just a local church question. For example, the Revised Common Lectionary, that is the currently the most commonly used collection and assignment of scripture for each day of the year, also doesn't include very much from the book of Nehemiah. Within the RCL, which is divided into a three-year system of cycles, there's only one Sunday, one, on which any part of Nehemiah is assigned. One Sunday out of three years. And it is not the scripture that our church school seeking justice curriculum chooses to uplift. So there's something happening there too. So in many ways, I'm glad that our church doesn't always follow the revised common lectionary because it means that we get to really engage in this new book, in this new scripture. It also means that this might be a slightly longer reflection that I might normally offer, only because this might be a once in a lifetime chance to preach <laughs> on Nehemiah. At its heart, our scripture this morning is concerned with economic anxieties brought on by an intense form of economic injustice. Part of the deal between the Persian Empire and the states that it controlled was that they could generally follow their own laws so long as taxes continued to be paid. In Judea, the elite and noble classes shifted much of that tax burden to the poorest of their nation. Everyday people were mortgaging their property in order to pay for food. They were borrowing money to pay the taxes on their property and they were literally leasing their children into the workforce in order to pay their debts. Indeed, this was a system of grave injustice. And naturally, wherever injustice rears its ugly head, the people turn towards those in power for answers. Nehemiah stands at the top. We learn later in this chapter that during his 12-year term as governor, he did not take any of the usual allowances allocated for his position. Already a man of significant financial means, he turned down his salary. There are several contemporary examples of wealthy leaders turning down their state salaries. You may recall that Mitt Romney, when he was governor of this state, refused to be paid. In Tennessee, Governors Bredesen and Haslam did the same. What stands out about Nehemiah is that he recognized his ability to refuse allowances was a consequence of a system that he had already seen enormous benefit from. And more importantly, rather than simply saying, I won't accept this pay, he committed to changing the system. When the people called out for justice, Nehemiah called out for the nobles and the elite to respond, to account for the charges against them. He was clear in saying that each of you is gouging your brother. And in a bit of fancy rhetorical work, he challenged them to consider whether their actions might be aligned with their stated goals. 
out of shame, they could not respond. No answer could have been adequate for the, goal, for the charges Nehemiah had made. No answer would have done more to bring about justice than what Nehemiah ordered them to do, which was to give everything back and to not commit the same crimes again. Can you imagine a government working for the people, committing to do exactly what the people have asked that government to do? This is not an abstract idea, nor is the story offered here one of hyperbole. One of the most incredible things about the book of Nehemiah is that most biblical scholars agree that Nehemiah was a real figure who once served as cupbearer to the king of Persia, who was then sent by that same king to be governor of Judea to oversee the rebuilding of the walls around Jerusalem, and that what is written in the book of Nehemiah is historically accurate. That is a pretty rare level of confirmation for the books we have in the Bible, for the books we cherish in this faith. For the main character, for the content, for the timeline, for the activities described, for all of those things to be, have, to be true, to have been done, to be historically honest and fair. And so again, it's surprising that Nehemiah doesn't pop up more often in the most common lectionary of Protestant churches in the U.S. It's disappointing, too, because I think that Nehemiah offers us much in the way of discerning where and how we are called in this world. For context, I'll tell you that Nehemiah's call was to rebuild the wall around the city of Jerusalem. That was, the region he, that was the reason he was sent to the region, to rebuild a wall so that his people and the temple at Jerusalem would be protected. The reading that we're meditating on this morning describes an event that happened while Nehemiah was overseeing construction on the wall. He acknowledged that he could not adequately fulfill his call to help protect God's people without first addressing the injustice and inequity that was present among God's people. More concretely, he linked economic justice with service to God. Nehemiah was a rebuilder and a builder. He was rebuilding the wall and building a legal system with justice, real justice at the center. Beloveds, what are we building today? Where do we see ourselves as individuals and as a church being called in the days to come? Are there privileges and powers that we might have that can affect change in our communities and the world? And asking those questions, I'm aware there is at times a tendency among some folks in this congregation to think that you are not doing enough or that you aren't doing enough quickly enough that you aren't doing enough quickly enough, often enough. And so for a moment, if you're one of those people, I want you to simply pause, breathe, and just listen to a few things that this church is building. In a literal sense, an effort to respond to the housing supply and cost crisis that faces Brookline and all of the Boston area, members of this church joined efforts and sent letters to various committees and councils saying not only that we want you to build affordable housing communities, we support you building them right around our church. Literally saying, yes, build these across the street. In response to a nearly century and a half long era of economic injustice towards the enslaved Africans who wrote many of the most commonly sung and performed church songs, this church 
It's ministry of music, it's choir, committed to singing Negro spirituals with great respect and deep gratitude, with holy reverence and open hearts, and to literally pay royalties to a school organized to support the advancement of young black artists and musicians. In doing so, I think that it demonstrates, as Nehemiah did, that the actual way to respond to economic injustice really can be as straightforward as saying, money that belongs to you was taken from you. And because I have the means and the position and the ability to do something about that injustice, to right that wrong, I will do it. I will share my money with you. On the Brookline Food Pantry needed more space to respond to the realities of food insecurity in our community. This church said we'll make it happen. Then more folks volunteered, providing both space and man hours to help get the job done. And once again, I invite you to look around this congregation because there are folks here who've been called in careers in politics, in law, in finance, in education, urban planning, science, medicine, and a whole lot more. And they've all found ways to share those gifts with this church, to share those gifts with Christ's people. I don't mean any of this and all of this to be a big pat on the back, mission accomplished moment. Rather, I offer it because I think it's important to know where you've been, what you've done, and what you are doing in order to better think about what might be next. And thankfully, this work is happening all across the nation. My home church back in Knoxville works with groups similar to GBIO, and for the past few years, they've organized what they call a Nehemiah assembly, taken from actions Nehemiah did in his work in Judea, in which they invite city leaders, elected officials, to literally sit before the people of Knoxville and hear their grievances. And after hearing those grievances, they then offer to those same elected officials an action plan for how to address those grievances. In Brooklyn, since 1982, a group of congregations and citizens have worked to execute what they call the Nehemiah Plan, which was an effort to respond to housing crises happening in neighborhoods in Brooklyn. Since the 1980s, they have built 4,500 affordable homes, and there have been zero foreclosures. And in Los Angeles, the Nehemiah Project is working to build a network of support for at-risk and foster youth, while also advocating for policy changes to better support those youth in their transition, recognizing what many of us may not know, and that's that Los Angeles is home to more than a third of the entire country's foster population. So what next? My mother is a fan of making vision boards, and though I don't necessarily have that same interest, a few questions she might be asking herself right now are ones I'm going to ask all of you. Think about what we built yesterday. Think about what we are building today. And ask ourselves, what do we hope to build tomorrow? What tools do we have that we can use? Nehemiah shows us that power and privilege can be leveraged to affect change in communities, small and large. Nehemiah shows us that it is right and good to acknowledge the ways in which we have been oppressors and to listen to those whom we've oppressed in order to find a way forward. Nehemiah also tells us that reconciliation isn't just a buzzword, but a real possibility, something that can be done in our time. 
that overturning injustice isn't just a hope or a long-distant dream, but a real thing that can be realized, it can be carried out in our time by everyday people using our power, our privilege, our position, our ability to right the wrongs that we see in our midst, both big and small. As it was so for Nehemiah, may it be so for us too. Amen.